Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast. Melina and I are so excited that you're here. If you're already a subscriber to the show, you are awesome. Honestly, your support means more than you know. And if you just stumbled upon our little corner of the interweb over here, hello. Make sure you hit that subscriber follow button. We release new book deep dives every Tuesday. Okay, time to get lost in a world of magic, romance, and adventure. Let's go. Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast, the show where two cousins do a deep dive into your favorite fantasy romance novels. We're talking chapter summaries, characters, lore, theories, and more. But before we dive into today's episode, please listen closely to our content warning. Most importantly, this episode will contain spoilers for House of Flame and Shadow and all of Sarah J. Mass's other works, including Throne of Glass and Actor. We may be focusing on chapters 7 through 10 today of House and Flame and Shadow, but we're bringing the whole Mossverse into the conversation, especially when we talk about our theories and predictions. Yeah, so that includes anything that SJM has said in interviews and such. It's all on the table. Right. So if you don't know why we're still laughing every time we see a vacuum, go finish the first two books in the Crescent City series and come back to us. We will be here when you're done. Absolutely. Yeah. And next, this podcast is rated R. We at Romanticy Fangirls are adults who say adult things and talk about adult themes about adult books. So if you're not into that, totally cool. But this is not the podcast for you. And if any of our family is listening, which we're sort of hoping not, but we appreciate the support from you all. Uh, We're sorry, but we're not sorry. You have been warned. And our final disclaimer here. Um, we are not going to be responsible for correctly pronouncing any names, towns, etc. We are not professionals. We are just fangirls. Yes. Thank you for putting that out there. So don't come <laughs> at us. No. <laughs> and lastly, before we jump into House of Flame and Shadow episode three, if you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making our dream our livelihood, if you want more content, more bookish community, merch, discounts, early access to ad-free episodes, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes as well as in our YouTube captions if you're listening to us over there. And really and truly thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you. Yes, thank you. And now it's time to dive in. We're starting off our episodes as we normally do with our anchor, which is our chapter summaries. So we are going to jump right into chapter seven. So we open with Lydia carrying the Sprite Queen in the direction of the dungeons. But then she says that they're taking a detour because if you remember, Lydia told the Sprite Queen that she needed her for an interrogation or hunt. But they end up at an unmarked iron door, and upon opening it, they enter an interrogation room or interrogation-like room where Hilda, who is the Grand Hag of the Imperial Coven, who was also the first one that enslaved Hunt with his first halo and put the Sprite Queen's collar on right after she became queen, is waiting in the table. And Hilda says to Lydia, because remember, Lydia is one of Queen Hecuba's daughters. Uh, So Hilda says to Lydia, she knew her mother and that they flew together in their witch queen unit before Hilda swore her allegiance then to flame and shadow. Yeah. And this, 
when we just said iron door, that kind of triggered my memory. I think we made a mistake in episode two that we want a quick remedy here in episode three before y'all come at us. Yes, we do. Right. I was talking about when Lydia and Regalus are going down to the room where all the mystics are in the Crystal Palace. It talks about Regalus putting his hand on the metal door. I got very excited. I thought it was an iron door and I just got got over over excitable um it is not an iron door it is just a metal door i'm looking i'm looking for clues that are not there <laughs> so that's our that's my uh, apology for the mistake there it's it's just a metal door you don't need to freak out i already did and it was incorrect <laughs> yes so moving on lydia wants to interrogate hilda on why she chose to betray the republic and regalus but Hilda swears she never betrayed the Republic and that she's being framed. She then asks the Sprite Queen to burn her into submission, which the Sprite Queen absolutely says no way, not doing it, on account of her honor. Then they leave the interrogation room without any sort of cruelty to Hilda, and on the next page we find out that Lydia did in fact frame her, by placing her own calm crystal that she uses to communicate with Rune and other agents of the rebellion in the hag's pocket as she passed her one day in the hallway. And then Mordok sniffed it out on the hag, <clears throat> took it to Lydia, and ended up getting Hilda sent into the dungeon. So Lydia returns the Sprite Queen to the mystic's room below the prison and we then jump to the tunnels, which is my favorite place to be. Your favorite setting of this whole yes. book. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, like, mass verse. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, where we're following Bryce's starlight again as it's acting as our compass to hopefully take her in the right direction. But it ends up taking them to a bridge with no sides and an endless black abyss below. They make it halfway across before Bryce hears the beating of wings and shining her starlight onto the rock walls around them. She sees, as SJM tells us in the book, thousands of primordial bat-lizard hybrid creatures, which is great. Lovely. So, but before we can even make sense of these creatures, the bridge rumbles and she staggers, but luckily she catches herself before she falls off. But not before she sees what, Melina? A Middengard worm. Who <laughs> we was thought it? was gone forever in Akatar. This threw me. I was not I was not ready for this, I have to say. No, absolutely not. So obviously this is a second or another Middengard worm, because we know that Feyre killed the other one or a other one in Akatar. But anyway, Bryce is frozen to the spot on the bridge and just as she's about to get eaten nesta drags her along to the other side to safety where nesta then asks bryce what port her ancestors hailed from and nesta doesn't know the term starborn but she does know of Thea, who bryce says is also one of her ancestors nesta then tells bryce that Thea was in fact the pie queen of these lands before she left and Nesta gives her a little pep talk and says, hey, the next time we encounter something dangerous, about you run or fight. And it is the end of chapter seven. Gotta love the the Nesta exasperated <laughs> pep talk. Like, 
Thanks yeah. for freezing up. Next time, <laughs> run or fight or be helpful. Yes. Love. Yeah. Tough love at its finest. Truly. And moving into chapter eight, then we are back in the dungeon at the Crystal Palace with Hunt. And he thinks he's hallucinating again because if you remember from chapter two, he's been seeing these weird shadows in the corners. But it turns out that the shadow is Pollyon, the prince of the pit. Hunt asks Pollyon if Bryce is with him because remember, he thinks Bryce went to hell to try to get help to fight the Asteri. But Apollyon says, no, he hasn't seen her or heard from her, which throws Bryce and sorry, throws Hunt into an absolute panic because if Bryce didn't make it to hell, then she's either dead or something worse. So Apollyon then vanishes and returns a few seconds later with Adis, his brother, the prince of the chasm, who says he also has not seen Bryce, but that her star may have guided her somewhere else. But Hunt basically says, cut the shit. I don't want any romanticism. I want to know where my wife is. But Adis won't tell him anything at the risk of Regulus torturing it out of him. So the princes then go to leave. And Hunt demands to know the whole point of why they're watching him. And they tell him to ensure we can continue to rely on you when the time comes. And of course, Hunt knows or wants to know what the hell they're talking about. But all they reply is what you were born to do to accomplish the task of your father who brought you into existence. And Hunt is stunned because he thought all this time that he didn't have a father. But Adis then very helpfully tells him that he spent too much time asking the wrong questions and to stay alive. And then the princes disappear. I, I would just thank you for that. I've been thinking that I'm hallucinating things as I'm being tortured. It turns out you two are just creeping on me from the shadows. You offer more cryptic warnings, no helpful information about my wife and mate. And then your last parting advice is stay alive. Are you yeah. serious? I would be so salty. <laughs> yes. Very helpful once again. Yes. Thanks for that. Then we bounce back to the meat market in Midgard, where Ethan and the boy band are still trying to convince Therian to get his shit together, leave the meat market, help them get in the depth chargers so that they can go to the Eternal City and finally rescue Rune and Beth. Ariadne is still there and she comes back to the apartment suite where she tells the group that the Viper Queen is currently in a meeting in her office with a pretty blonde female in an imperial uniform. And this intrigues Therian, so he peeks his head out into the hallway towards the Viper Queen's office where he sees her coming down the hallway. So when the Viper Queen enters their apartment, Sigrid commands the Viper Queen to let Therian and Ariadne go, but the Viper Queen just laughs and tells her that they bring in good business for her. So as soon as the Viper Queen leaves, then we find out who she was talking to because a cool female voice says, you open that door and Prince Rune dies. And we find out that it's the Hind. A pretty blonde in an imperial uniform. Big yikes. Big yeah. yikes. That is never good news. Which reading it, I didn't put that together. And after it was revealed who it was, I felt really stupid. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, that's understandable. There's a lot of 
There's a lot of imperial uniform You're people. Being very nice. <laughs> I appreciate there's, there's that. A lot, there's a lot of characters in here. We'll just and obviously we wanted some a dramatic entrance, and you you know you got one. Sarah, I'm sure is very pleased with you for that. So there we are. I'm just I'm letting myself experience it. I'm just exactly. I'm just here for the ride. So washing it over. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So then in chapter nine. Oh, we're back in the tunnels <laughs> with Bryce and Nesta, and they start seeing these carvings in the rock walls. And it's carvings that are depicting this ancient Fey artwork, where from Bryce's expertise in dealing with antiquities, she recognizes, I see it as Silene, Selene, who we know is Helena's sister, as one of the females in these carvings. She is interpreting these for Nesta, telling Nesta that there's a warning in the story that Selene is telling on the walls where there's a field of corpses that are actually carved. There's a battlefield. There's great beasts with scales and talons that coincidentally reveal or resemble the ones from the pit beneath her cell. Bryce also notices that there are indents in the rock walls at which she guesses have mechanisms in them to send weapons at passersby, kind of like booby traps, so that nobody actually gets any further into these tunnels. But Nesta, with her powers, lays her hands on the walls and uses her silver flames to misfire the mechanisms so that they can continue on. Then she and Nesta stop for a bite to eat because, you know, after you've just saved yourselves, that's what you should do. And they talk about all the difference in their world. And Bryce is shocked to know that even Reese didn't know that the tunnel that they're in existed. So now they really don't know where they are. Lovely. And we end this episode summary with chapter 10, where we are once again back in Midgard at the meat market with the boy band and behind. And she tells them that she went looking for them at their house, but they weren't there. And then that's when she tracked them to Viper Queen. So she said she doesn't care why they ended up in the meat market, but she doesn't have much time because Rune's life depends on them listening to her. They all understandably think it's a total trap but the hind tells them that it's not and that hunt rune and baxian are being held and tortured at the crystal palace so she tells them again she doesn't really have time to explain everything but she needs declan's help in hacking into the camera systems at the palace which is remember something that he has done before and when they continue to give her skepticism of her motives she finally admits to them that she is agent daybright so she tells them she needs to get Rune out. If they don't help her, then his death is going to be on them all and she will destroy them, which I have no doubt that she would. Agreed. She reminds Therian that she was the one who made sure the depth charger was there to pick him up after Agent Silverbow or Cormac sacrificed himself. She was also the one that filled Commander Sundays in about Rune and Athelar and Baxian being captured, as well as Bryce going missing. She's also the one who kept Regulus off their scent and kept the Asteri from killing anyone that means anything to them. She tells Therian that she needs him to, again, get his shit together, find a way out of the meat market, become her ally and advocate on the depth charger, 
after they've completed this seemingly impossible rescue. So she tells them that in two days, a skiff will be waiting for them at Iona's Harbor. They're to get on it and then throw a small white stone into the water to summon the depth charger, which will take them to Pangara. She then tells the three sprites that are with Sigrid that she knows where their queen is and asks them if she is trustworthy, which they tell her emphatically, yes, trustworthy, loyal, will uphold her honor, no questions asked. Before she leaves, she begs them to find a way out of their situation with the Viper Queen so that they can help her pull off this rescue. End of chapter. Again, is a lot. Not as much as happened as our episode two, but still a lot. If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you. Let's move into The Drop, which is our theories and predictions. And let's start with Chapter 7, where the Sprite Queen, who again, I'm not going to say her name, (laughs) try to, Arithus, I don't know, is denying Lydia's requests or command to burn the hag. So... There's some there's some foreshadowing there, right? Yeah, I mean, there has to be, right? I mean, Lydia does nothing without reason. So she brought Erethus before the hag. Um, this feels like a test. And I think we don't we don't really know really whether Erethus passed or not, quote unquote, right? Like right. We, Lydia brought her before the the hag. She didn't burn her, and then Lydia just returns her. Um, to her her cage, that like weird glass bowl thing that she's kept yeah, in. Yeah, I think they describe it as like the size of a cantaloupe, which I found funny for some reason. That is wild. Oh, and also yeah. like how small. That's horrifying. I I feel like this had to have been a test. We don't know whether she passed or not. Um, but then, right, then we see in what in chapter 10, then Lydia's asking our our favorite three sprites about the queen and saying like is she trustworthy you know is does she have honor and and that's what all the sprites have always said that right even back to lehaba like that is Mm -hmm. that is the one of the core tenets of of who they are so i think this is going to be this is going to be really interesting to see where this goes from here yeah for sure and then in chapter eight one of the things that really stuck out to me was this whole conversation between Hunt and Apollyon and Adis. And we already kind of hinted at the fact that they really don't give him shit as far as anything useful. But I was shocked, I think just like Hunt was, to know that like he actually had maybe not a father in the traditional sense that we think of in like human terms, but somebody actually like created him for a purpose. And so... I'm just really curious to know like what that purpose is. Yeah, I think this was a this was a fascinating reveal because I also think, and we'll have to go back and and double check this um, later, is I think this is one of the first times like a Pollyan is appearing 
to hunt. Adis we've seen before appearing to Bryce, um, mm-hmm. but there's no there's no protect here, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, the very first time we met the princes, we had to have all the obsidian salt and it's just interesting how that relationship has developed um, where Apollyon is specifically appearing to hunt. And then he goes and gets Prince Ida and allows him to fill him in. So I think it's interesting who is showing up to who and right. And then never revealing anything remotely helpful. Like oh, every time yeah. drives me. Yeah. I would have just, I would have just said like, kind of like Hunt, like, why did you even bother showing up? Like, I would have been much better off not knowing that my wife was now, like, completely missing and, you know, that I have a dad or that I don't have a dad. And I I just would have rather, ignorance is bliss, right? So Truly, truly. And nothing like an emotional sucker punch about uh, obviously touchy subject with his dad in the midst of him already being tortured and right now not knowing that Bryce is not in hell where she, they were hoping that she was supposed to be like, great. Now we're again, we're over three. Yeah. That's great news for us. Oh my gosh. These men, males, sorry. Every time. And then in chapter nine, we start seeing, you know, we want to foreshadow this too, because we start seeing all of these carvings of this, ancient fae play out on the walls of these tunnels. And so I feel like we're going to get a lot more to what story we're actually seeing on the walls, but this is just the beginning. And we're already seeing the fact of like, it probably doesn't end well. It's very, you know, dark and graphic and there's death and violence. And so I can't imagine that at the end of these carvings, at the end of this story, that we're going to have a happily ever after. Yeah, it's not looking great. Well, and I love, um, Cal, tell us about what the uh, what the booby traps reminded you of. <laughs> I don't know. This is where my mind goes. This is how it works. So I think of the, you know, you've seen the show Wipeout, right? Which maybe I'm aging myself at this point, but Anyway, if you don't know what Wipeout was, it was like a YouTube or TV show where these contestants, it was totally scripted, but it was hilarious. And they had these obstacle courses where people would run through and try not to get absolutely blasted by these walls and, you know... Streets of water. Yes, like just, I mean, it was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And so I'm like in my head picturing that these indents in the walls are the ball or no, the, the punching, they were like boxing gloves that would come out of this wall and just absolutely annihilate these contestants and send them flailing into this pool of water. So I'm in my head picturing, okay, these are the boxing gloves that are going to punch Nesta and Bryce as they're going along. Obviously, much more deadly, but that's where my mind went. I think that is hilarious. So, and my brain did, this is an Indiana Jones move. Mm -hmm. So I was waiting for, you know, of course, like the arrows are coming out of the wall or whatever, but I was like, oh, are we, okay, if we're going to give Indiana Jones vibe, is like a giant rock going to come down from like a secret like ceiling dropped down and they're gonna have to be running out of the way and 
Yes. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that to occur. But Nesta's magical powers of silver flames takes everything out. So, which is good. I mean, I don't want them to die, but yeah, some of the fun out of it. (laughs) I'm not mechanical at all. Like, I don't know what would be in her power that would make the weapons like misfire. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'd have to ask my husband, who's a lot more mechanical than me, but then I'd have to talk to him about silver flames and then I would just completely lose him. (laughs) And then you would lose him. I think, yeah, I think that's an interesting, we really see like Nesta's power kind of being like, it's kind of whatever she needs it to be, which is really handy, but an interesting, interesting conversation about, I mean, right, where are the limits then? So... That yeah, is, that sometimes, is yeah, I mean, as much as I love SJM, sometimes, especially I think with Nesta, since we've just kind of gotten a lot of her backstory recently with Silver Flames being the last Akatar book, like, I feel like there are quite a lot of maybe convenient plot devices that are used around her. Not that she's not a complete badass, but like, I feel like we don't have enough explanation of the intricacies of her power to really be able to say anything other than, oh, well, that's convenient. Do you know what I mean? No, I think that's a really good point. Cause right. I would see like for this instance specifically, it makes more sense that like Cassian or Az's powers would be helpful here because theirs is like battle. It's battle magic. Right. So like protection or, or whatever. But right, like Nesta can just send her flames down and get the traps to misfire. It's a little sure. it's a little vague, but we'll we'll allow it, I guess, for our for our love of Indiana Jones and Wipeout. And Wipeout. Yes. <laughs> absolute top tier of a TV show. <laughs> yes. Go watch it. Go YouTube it. It's hilarious. Exactly. Um, yes. And then into our ascent where we talk about characters, canon, and more. So in chapter seven, we learn that Lydia, in fact, did set up the hag with this calm crystal. So that was really interesting to me. And then I think kind of like we talked about before, really was the first indication for me of what Lydia's plan might be in using the Sprite Queen. Whereas before in episode two where she told Regulus she needed her for interrogating Hunt. I really didn't know where we were going with that. And then obviously now I kind of was, oh, obviously we're not using her for what we were told. Right. And I think for me too, it was interesting. I think one of the, one of the pieces of her revealing this is she's still a power player. Mm-hmm. We're talking, I mean... A long time ago, she put Hunt's um, halo on, right? And she's now the Asteri's pet who put as the old, the previous, I shouldn't say old, previous Sprite Queen was no more. You know, it was the Imperial Hag's job to put the new uh, tattoo on Irithus, the current Sprite Queen. So I think the reveal of the Imperial Hag still being in power, a person of power and in play. And Lydia now is in circulation with her, who Lydia is Queen Hecuba's daughter. I think that's such an interesting link 
with kind of species lines, if you will, and seeing where some of the loyalties lie, like between houses, uh, and really like we see the level of um, care, I guess, that Lydia's had to take in. I mean, she is devious. She has to be like six steps ahead, planning out all of this to put her calm crystal in on the hag to plant it so Mordok can find it to get her into this room to get Erethus to take this test to see whether Erethus will burn the hag or not. I mean, this is like a 85 step process here. And we're yeah, it's like Ocean's Eleven, and I am not that smart. So. Yes, I am just amazed at how many how many things have to be planned out. Like, there's a lot of facets here, and they're all unpredictable. So, right. I I love the amount of detail that's that's an intentionality that's going into this is really cool to me. Yeah, and it's interesting that Lydia is really the only one that has all this knowledge. You know, because they, they did mention in the book, like the room where the hag is held. Lydia had been there as a girl on a tour of the Crystal Palace. Really, she's the only one character in circulation that we have that like even knows about all these places. So she's really the only one that can kind of make up all these plans to be six steps ahead. So it's just really cool how badass she is, really. Yeah, absolutely. She's on our side, quote unquote, like that she's not only having all this access, but is being able to put it to use to help the rebels. I mean, that's, yeah, it's invaluable. They wouldn't, we wouldn't be anywhere without her. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then along with that, chapter seven, the worm, the Midgard worm, like I was just out of everything that could have happened. I mean, it's been so long since we've had this, you know, the worm up here, like it's been back since Akatar. I was not, I was expecting literally any other creature to come out of the depths than the worm. Oh my gosh. I, I was like, my face was, I was like, oh my word, it's the worm. And I was like, the worm? What? Like that's, I just did not see that. I, I actually, I feel like I still don't know how I feel about that. Like that is just so, there's a piece of me that's like a little bit bummed. Because I love Freya took that on. I don't pronounce her name properly. Nobody come for me. Freya like took that on as a human and with set up the bones and the trap and the pit. And that was so cool. It was so impactful. Mm -hmm. Such a big piece of the trials under the mountain. And now there's another one. And I'm a little salty about it. Like, it's even cool, Yeah, I mean, even Nesta said, she's like, I thought there was only one. And I'm thinking, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. you and me both, my dude. Right, like, yeah, I don't know. I guess the the thing that would be cool for me would be, like, Nesta actually getting to see, this is what your little sister fought as a human Mm -hmm. after being beaten and no food and you know, mentally tortured. And I think that for me was a little bit of, I I hope you shit your pants a little bit, Nesta, because this is, I will, I don't know if I will forgive her ever for having Freya have to do what she did under the mountain. So that for me was a little bit of the justice piece, but I was also just kind of like, oh, dang it. Yeah. And I've seen some hilarious memes about this worm, and we'll get to some of those later. But 
Oh my God. The, I'm just having a ball with these memes. So please keep them coming. Whoever is drawing these. Yes, please. The one that you sent me, and I think it's on our Instagram page. Yes. Please. If you do nothing else and get nothing else out of this episode, please go look at that meme. That is yes. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I don't know who the author is or the artist. Like, please let me know who you are because I found please. it in a Facebook group for SJM and I we love crediting artists on here. So please let us know. But yes, if you don't care about anything else we talk about, go look at that meme because it is just brilliant. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I love it. So then we move into chapter eight where kind of both of our things line up with each other with Hunt learning that Bryce never made it to hell and then the prince is communicating with him. And we kind of talked a little bit about this already, but I really feel like they could have thrown him a little bit of a bone here, like just a little bit. I mean, the guy is literally at death's door. You know, he's been tortured for how long? He has no idea where his mate is. He's watching his friends be tortured too. I get that they're, you know, princes of hell. And so maybe that's, you know, the whole point. Like they don't want to be helpful. But I was like, okay, you can just give him a little nugget of hope that things may not be as bad as they seem and may not be as vague as you're making them. Right, right. I think that for me was, they. it just, there's, there's, they give him nothing. There's nothing helpful. And then on top of not being helpful and giving him any useful information, they do this reveal of there's some grander purpose that you were essentially made for. So there's this unseen force that already, you know, it's giving that I made you for a reason, you know, and you don't know about it. And it's kind of not entirely similar, but it's giving like Dumbledore and Harry vibes of like, mm, yeah, I, I'm sort of like, I'm not going to give you any of the pieces, but I'll use you and you'll be an effective tool for me at the end when I need you. And all the yeah. pieces are finally revealed. Like, that's so terrible. So, honey, yeah. right, is tortured is we're kind of at the end of our rope here. We don't know where Bryce is. They're not being helpful. And now we have this reveal of you have you have a purpose that we've been crafting. Somebody somewhere has been crafting you towards that the princes obviously know about. So whether it's them or someone else, that to me was what a hit. Yeah. And do you have any indication of like who Hunt's father slash creator could be? No, I I have wondered about this for a while. Uh, yeah, I I I can't tell. I don't know why the princes know. Right. So I feel like that sh- that should be a clue, but I, I don't know whether it's because they are just against the Asteri or because right we say like nobody has hunts lightning. So I don't I I don't and we don't see. I mean, I don't think we have many lightning clues. So I'm I'll be interested to see where where this plot line takes us for sure. You know, that was my only thought is like the princes of hell know, so it has to be something like kind of in that vein. But I yeah, I'm really as lost as every well, maybe somebody knows. If you do That's true. no spoilers, but you know, just tell us in the comments like 
we know. <laughs> yeah, and then we moved to chapter nine and ten. Our thoughts on this were, you know, similar for both chapters. Is like we spend a lot of time in these chapters seeing Lydia trying to convince this motley crew, you know, with Ethan and Therian and Deck and Flynn to help her in this, you know, prison break of Hunt, Rune, and Baxian. Obviously, rightly so, like, they're skeptical because they have only known this woman to be just absolutely vicious and ruthless. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't blame them for being like, um, yeah, no, thanks. Right, right. And in chapter 10 is where this is all occurring of, like, Lydia reveals to them that she's Agent Daybright as like a, as an act of desperation, right? Almost of like, mm-hmm. we, I have to get Flynn and Deck and Ethan on my side. They, you know, cause they're kind of the lead singers of the boy band, if you will. Yeah. I don't know if I like that metaphor, but here we are. Um, cause Therian obviously literally can't get his life together. Um, so I think she's just, I mean, we're in desperation mode every day that passes, every hour that passes, more torture is happening. We don't know what, you know, she doesn't know what Regalus has planned or how long she can draw this out. It is, it is D-Day. Like we got to get moving. We got to get a plan. Um, and I think the fact that she spearheads, I mean, she, I'm sure she assumed that the boy band was attempting to come up with some sort of rescue mission. Obviously it wasn't going well and it wasn't moving quickly. So she's like, I'm pretty sure she knew that too. (laughs) (laughs) Like these idiots, I have to help them along. Um, Yes. Yeah. So I think, I think her coming in, taking charge and just saying, we got to do this. You got to move. You got to get your act together. And we got to be doing this now. Um, I think was a big piece of it. But then revealing and all the little signs along the way of, you know, working with Cormac and letting the depth charger know where they were and all those little things that I think they didn't get to put the pieces together yet. I mean, that's a big, that's a big reveal and a big risk for her because she's now every, you know, every one more person that knows that she's Agent Daybright is putting her into significantly more danger this is a big deal for this chapter yeah for sure and and maybe i'm the only one that thought this but when they said or when lydia said about taking this small white stone and dropping it into the ocean to summon the depth charger my mind immediately went back to the the bean (laughs) the magic bean (laughs) the magic bean yeah that bryce swallowed to be able to comprehend and speak the ancient fey language so i was like "Hmm, there's a theme here you know we have these little uh bean shaped devices that are that's hilarious (laughs) um i was that is not what i was thinking of (laughs) uh, but i love that i (laughs) i think i just like there's a little I'm just, I think for me, it's more of like, like how many rocks are y'all carrying around in your pockets? Yeah. You just got like, you need a magic bean for language. You have like just several crystals, you know, and everybody yes. all have, we all have the friends right now who are like real into the crystals. I love that for you all. But like, <laughs> yes, are we just carrying like three of them around in our pockets now to be some sure. things and... That just, that makes me laugh. I'm but. thinking of them too, like, 
you know, Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Bean. So there's like something for everything. Oh, what my gosh. Like, you are stuck on this bean thing. I am. I am. I'll get off of it. All we can no, don't. All we can hope for is that there is more bean content coming yeah. later in this book. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. I maybe oh, I word. I need some magic beans in my life. I think that's what this is telling me. I, so. I feel like that's a big thing for you. I'll have to see it if is, I can yeah. send you some or something. Um but oh my working off of that, I wanted to quick jump back to chapter nine. Um yeah. I think it's it's really interesting that we with we're back in the tunnels with like the carvings that we're seeing. And I always I liked the parallel of Bryce and Nesta being in the tunnel with the carvings telling the story that uh, kind of gave me like a flashback of uh, Freya being in the uh, in Tamlin's the spring mm-hmm. court man in the gallery or in the library in the library it's the library there's, yeah yeah there's that mural of Prithian and she learns like about the cauldron and under the mountain and that's how she kind of gets some of yeah. the backstory. And we're seeing that again here. There's there's these narratives that are being displayed on, on the tunnel walls. Um, and they're obviously important enough to have been carved there. And I think a, on top of that is Nesta's reveal. Rise doesn't even know about these tunnels and these carvings. I mean, we I just come to assume that Rise knows everything. So I think it's right. really interesting that there's not only all of these this narrative and these carvings down here, but it's booby-trapped and Rise doesn't know about it. So there's all of those things to me say, oh boy, there's there's gotta be something coming here at the end of this tunnel that's gonna be that's gonna be wild. I'm just over here hoping we get to the end of a tunnel. <laughs> you you have been so I funny am- <laughs> texting me of like, are we out of these tunnels yet? Oh my God. But no, that's a great point. And I obviously think too, like we mentioned, I just don't foresee really anything happily ever after being at the end of this tunnel and the end of this story that we're learning about. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see kind of where we end up with it for sure. Yeah. And with, I mean, Celine is, is on this carving. I mean, that's, She's a major player, right, in in the history of of Prithian. I think this, yeah, this this feels ominous at best. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when we first heard of Celine? Like, I don't remember what. You know, I was just thinking about that as I said that. I oh am. Oh, Melina's got to know. I wouldn't. <laughs> I know, right? This should be where I should be having all my little details in my brain. I want to say. I want to say Silver Flame. Okay. But I will have to go back and check that for our for our next discussion. Yeah, I would have said House of Earth and Blood, but uh, yeah, we'll definitely check that. Or if somebody knows, like, right away, just let us know. Yeah, um, but we will too. reveal that in the next episode for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So final thoughts on chapters 7 through 10 they were fairly short page count wise but you know there's still obviously a lot that got moved in here yeah i think we're seeing we're seeing all of our different you know separate plot lines kind of moving along obviously with bryce and nesta we have a rather large uh event happening currently so that was a big that was a big deal there 
we're getting Hunt is just like uh, barely, barely having a rough go there over there. (laughs) And then the boy band is just attempting to get themselves pulled together. Thankfully, the hind is there to kind of push them along. But I think we're for a couple of them, it feels like we're setting up to there's going to be some big reveals next of next step they take whichever path that pushes them towards. It kind of feels like we're getting that momentum going of this is building and there's not really any turning back at this point for for a lot of these characters and these plot lines. So for me, it's the momentum's building. We're going to start getting into some, some some hefty plot points here, for sure. How about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment. And I think too, obviously, I feel like the boy band is going to help Lydia in this escape attempt. I mean, I feel yeah. like, you know, we've been building up to that. So I'm interested to see kind of how that goes because knowing these boys' track record, like things always go wrong. True. So hopefully, you know, I, I, I if I'm Hunt, Rune, and Baxian, if I get any sort of hint that these are my rescue crew, like, I think I'll maybe take my chances, but <laughs> wait for the next one. Yeah. No, thanks. I'll take yeah. the group after you. <laughs> yeah. But I a hundred percent like have confidence in Lydia being able to like orchestrate this. And like we said, she's always many, many steps ahead of everybody else. So interested to see how that plays out. I just want to be out of the tunnel, but I am interested in knowing the story and the carvings plays out because I'm always, always interested in like, history of the Fae and histories of these lands and just kind of Sarah's such an amazing storyteller in general. So just having that story within a story is always really interesting to me. Um, So yeah, just looking forward to that. And hopefully, you know, at some point, um, Darian can maybe get his act together and decide that life is still worth living and helping out with. Like you said, I really think things are going to start to pick up now and we're going to start to see the action part of a lot of this setup that Sarah's been taking us through. Agreed. Agreed. So obviously with that being said, you all have to join us for our next episode. Well, we will be diving into further chapters. So we hope that you've enjoyed the first three. Cal, this has been great. I love that we get to have this conversation. So, and we have much more of this book to, I love that our first book that we decided to do is one of the longest books that I've read in several years. It's nothing like on a good note. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of how, you know, kind of how we do things, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's, It's all fine. It's a great one. So we're excited to be doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for joining us and we will see you on the next one. If you love Romantic Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, If you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you.